You're listening to Thank You Five, a podcast devoted to Omaha's vibrant performing arts scene. My name is Dana Schweiger, and I've worked in Omaha theater for over 25 years. I'm sitting down with directors, performers, musicians, technicians, and designers to discuss their artistic talent, their passion, and why they continue to call Omaha home. Moira Mangiamelli is a familiar face to area theater goers, appearing in numerous plays and musicals over the years. Most recently, Moira performed the title role in Mother Courage with Nebraska Repertory Theater, as well as the roles of Antonia in Much Ado About Nothing and Queen Eleanor in King John for Nebraska Shakespeare. Other favorite roles include Stevie in The Goat at the Blue Barn Theater, Barb in August Osage County at the Omaha Community Playhouse, and Sonia in Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike for Snap Productions. Her next project will be as part of the ensemble in The Woodsman at the Blue Barn Theater. Moira is the former theater program chair at Iowa Western Community College in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and served as director of education for Nebraska Shakespeare and the Ocala Civic Theater in Ocala, Florida. She has also lent her vocal talents to Dino Squad, a CBS Saturday morning cartoon, Harlequin Romance Books on Tape, and VH1. She graduated with a Master of Fine Arts in Acting from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln and currently works as an adjunct professor for the UNO Theater Department. Moira Mangiamelli, welcome to the Green Room. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Any good actor knows that you have to have a good backstory for a character. So we are going to delve a little bit into your backstory. <laughs> Where are you from originally? Omaha. You are from Omaha. And you, uh, you come from a large family, is that correct? I do. I came from a family of 10, seven girls and three boys. And where do you fall in the hierarchy? There are two boys and one girl younger than me. So I'm in the, the bottom five. What part of Omaha did you grow up in? In Benson. Yep. Where did you go to grade school? I went to St. Pius Tenth grade school and Marion High School. When you were at when you were at St. Pius the 10th, did you perform any plays? We didn't have plays. We had the the pastors like feast day celebration where, you know, some kids would sing or you would do different skits and that kind of stuff. And I did I sang in a couple of those when I was maybe in 7th and 8th grade when I got older cuz I was believe it or not really shy. So I had to kind of grow up a little bit and get the confidence to to sing. But that's probably it because we didn't they didn't have any plays. And then you went to Marion. Mm-hmm. And did you perform in any of the plays or choir or anything like that when you were at Marion? I was in concert choir all four years and I performed in I was in the the chorus in Finian's Rainbow my freshman year. And then I took the sophomore year off because I just wanted to focus on my studies. Um, and then I think actually I maybe I didn't do anything sophomore or, or junior year. My senior year, I was I played Beatrice in Man in the Moon Marigolds and Golda in Fiddler on the Roof. So, so you graduate from Marion, and then where did you go to college? I got a full four-year music scholarship, like vocal music scholarship, to the College of St. Mary's, and so and I went for one semester, and I really didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't really like being a music major. I, I really they didn't have any theater department, and I just really missed it. 
And, and I, even though I have always sung, I'm I'm not a trained singer. I loved listening to people who were trained singers, but I just didn't feel like I could do that or like it was me. So I, I transferred after one semester, I transferred to UNO as a theater major. So you received your undergraduate degree from UNO in theater. Was the emphasis in acting? They they didn't really have that then. It was just a, a, yeah, I think it was a BA, DA, like Bachelor of Arts in Dramatic Arts. I don't think they have it now. Now it's just a BFA, but yeah. What roles did you do when you were in college? Gosh, Dana, that was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> let me any role will do. Let me cast my mind back because I was there a, a really, really long time. So I played a lot of different roles. Um, I did not do it in your standard four years. Well, is there a let's put it this way? Was there a favorite role that stood out to you that you played when you were in college? There were a few. I played Regina in Little Foxes. That was really fun. I was Titania. In uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, I was one of the homeless women in a Doug Marr original musical called Bums in Dumpsters. I was Rossignol in Marat Saad, which is directed by Scott Glasser. He came as a, a guest director one year. I did Josie in Moon for the Misbegotten. That was definitely a favorite. Yeah, I mean, there were there were a lot, but it, it, was, a, it was a good time. I, I mean, I went to school with people like Laura Marr and... Steve Gibbs and Mike Markey and Matt Camprath and those, they were my contemporaries. So, you know, we had a really good time and we learned a lot. You graduate eventually from Yono because you said it took you more than the (laughs) four years. It did. I'm not even going to say how many. That's okay. And I won't ask. (laughs) (laughs) So you, so eventually you graduate from Yono. Did you then go to Lincoln right away for your master's or did you... Do something in between. No, I did a lot of things in between. I got married and had kids, for one. I went back. I was almost 40 years old when I went back to get my master's. I was 39. And I did it because I, some of the things that had happened in between where I had started, I'd been asked to do, to be director of education for Nebraska Shakespeare. And uh, I mean, I remember thinking, are you sure? <laughs> Me? Because I had really hadn't done any teaching or directing at that point. But I had been in several seasons with them um, and they wanted to start an education department. They'd had one year before, one season before, but the person that was doing it left. And I found I really liked being, I really liked working with kids and I really liked directing. So I started doing a little bit more of that. Finally, when my kids, when I felt like my kids were old enough, I decided to go back and get my master's degree. And I, so I commuted for three years to Lincoln and got my, my master's degree. And again, it was a really, I was just really lucky. It was an incredibly blessed time to be there. I had phenomenal people in my class and some amazing instructors that were only there for the time we were there. So like master teachers, and we were just really lucky. So that was great. Let's talk a little bit about your time at Nebraska Shakespeare. And so why don't you delve into a little bit about what all you did? Well, I happened to be going to school again at UNO, just lucky when they decided to have this, the Shakespeare Company, Shakespeare Festival. Cindy and was teaching at UNO, Cindy Faniff and Alan Clem at Creighton, and they, you know, got together. And so I was in the very first season of Nebraska Shakespeare. I played the widow in Taming of the Shrew that year. Yeah. The widow and the hostess, I think, in the beginning part. And then I, I, I was at UNO for a couple of years after that. So I did several seasons with them. 
I, I grew up on Shakespeare. My my dad was a huge fan. And so he he would read us and tell us stories, Shakespeare stories. And I just never sort of had any of that Shakespeare. I always loved the language. And so I was just so thrilled to be able that we had something here that in the summer I could do Shakespeare. And for a while, that was the only thing going on in the summer. Yeah, it's true. You mentioned your father and his love of Shakespeare. Do you have any other family members who also are interested in the arts or work in the arts? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're a pretty artsy, fartsy family. I, my sister Peggy sort of dabbled in theater for a little bit when she was younger, but then she got got wise and <laughs> started doing something where she could actually make money. And then uh, all of us sing, you know, we all sort of sing together. We have several musicians, teachers, artists, my sister, uh, Christine, who's just now in the process of moving back to Omaha from Atlanta, is an incredible visual artist. And that we have writers, my brother's a writer. So yeah, I think that's, it was definitely a value in our home to be creative, to be an artist that was valued and it was encouraged. Out of all the theatrical experiences that you've had, and I know you've had multiple, would you say that Shakespeare is like your genre of theater that you enjoy the most? Or do you have a favorite? I don't know if I have, if I could say I have a favorite genre. I mean, I love Shakespeare because I love the words, but but there are a lot of writers whose words I love. You know, I love Eugene O'Neill and I love Thornton Wilder and, you know, uh, whatever, Tom Stoppard. There, you know, there's so many that I think are great. So I, I, the words are important to me. The The text is important. I'm not, I mean, when I was younger, I did a few stupid shows at dinner theaters that, you know, the scripts were kind of crap. But, and I did it because it was paid, paid work. And, you know, I was trying to make a living as an actor. But the text has always been really important to me. I want a, I want a good script. It's the foundation, you know, it's what you have to, to anchor everything on. So you did some Shakespeare. And besides being involved in the first few years of Nebraska Shakespeare, where else did you perform? Where else? I did, uh, like I said, I did a few shows at the Upstairs Dinner Theater and several shows at the Firehouse Dinner Theater when it was around. And the Firehouse was an equity house at that time? It, it was, yeah. So I was, in, but I wasn't equity. Were you able to earn any equity points in you that know, house? I didn't. I didn't think about, I mean, I've never, I, I, I'm sure I could have had an equity card because I've worked in a lot of places that, you know, that had equity contracts, but I, you know, I, I didn't really have any plan being anywhere except for Nebraska and it's a right to work state. So there's, I knew if I went equity, I wouldn't be able to do a lot of things. Is there a particular reason why you didn't want to leave Nebraska to try and further your career acting? You know, I think again, it was timing. I think when I was unencumbered, um, before I got married and had kids, and I, I didn't have the courage. I, I didn't feel confident enough in my abilities, and I didn't, I've never been particularly driven. I've always just been sort of an actor, but I haven't, I've not been one of those like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, really push, I'm gonna make it big. I just wanted to act. So I, I think, like I said, when I could have, when I had the freedom to go, I, I didn't, I didn't think I could do it. And because I didn't think I could do it, I was right. <laughs> You know, I mean, I didn't have, I don't think I had what it, what it took then. Now I could, you know, and in the last 10 years or something, I feel confident about my, my abilities and I probably could. I'm kind of old now, so it probably won't happen. 
But I, my family, I'm really close to my siblings. They're they're my best friends. We're just, we were just a really tight-knit family. And then, again, I had kids, and they were here and just didn't want to, you know, you couldn't have that kind of a gypsy life when you're a mom, really. I know people do, but I didn't feel like I could do it. Oh, and there, I mean, there are a lot of people who take time out when their kids are small and, you know, they're, they have the ultimate role, their mom or their dad. And then the kids get to be a certain age and, and then they, you know, and then they go back. I didn't really, I didn't take time off. I never took time off from doing theater because I, you know, and I, this just has to be said, I'm married to one of the most incredible humans on the planet who was, has always been Mark Mangimelli, who's always been so supportive. And I always did shows, even when my kids were little, little, because he would, you know, he stepped in, stepped up to the plate so that I could do it because he knew I wouldn't really be particularly nice person to live with if I wasn't doing theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, I have been lucky that I, I, I didn't have to take that. But yeah, going away somewhere and doing a contract for three months, that wouldn't have really been feasible. I think the first show that I saw you in was a man of no importance. Was that the first of many times you shared the stage with Jim McCain? <laughs> or was that like, into because, you know, because so I saw you and you were brother and sister in that. And then I see you later on in, in the goat and you're married and the same thing in August Osage. But it always seems like the two of you find are partnered up a lot of times on stage together. But I really enjoyed A Man of No Importance. And, and that was long before I had even met you. But your your performance in that was just absolutely stunning. It was, that was, a I can't remember exactly when that was, but it was shortly after the death of my parents. Both of my parents died like six weeks apart in the spring of 2004. That was one of the first shows that I did after the death of, of my father, because he was, he, he, he was the second to go. And it was set in... You know, Dublin, and uh, my dad was an Irish scholar, and it was set in Dublin, and it was uh, there was you know references to Oscar Wilde, and it was very difficult because I I felt him with me like the entire time, and I cried a lot. I would break down and cry and a lot, but again, this amazing supportive cast. I mean, Judy Radcliffe and Jim McCain and Paul Trinisi and you know. Just Seth Fox. I mean, just these really wonderful people who just lifted me up. And it was a, it was a really blessed experience. And I'm so glad that that was one of the ones. And, and of course, Susie Bear Collins directed it. And, you know, she's she's the best. So it, it, that was really good. But that's not the first time Jim and I actually were in a play called Mom's Motel that was at the diner years and years ago that was written by Gail Irwin, who was a uh, playwright in residence at, at the Rose for a while. Um, actually, it was when it was Amy Gifford, I think. But that was the first time. But I had totally even forgotten about that. When we did Man of No Importance, he was the one that said, you know, this is our second play. And we weren't like we were just it, we were just friends or something in that one. So, yeah, I think there's a, a, a law there that says I only Jim McCain or Mike Markey can play my husband from now on, I think. So <laughs> I don't know what that it, is. <laughs> it. It is interesting how how sometimes I mean for as large as the Omaha theater community is how sometimes how small it is and 
you tend to, you know, work with the work with the same people. I know that, you know, when Barb Ross was was alive, I think that was the person that I had worked with the most, whether I had directed her in something or that we had shared the stage together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There are just some people that it just it's kismet that <laughs> and no, it seems no like complaints. it's yeah exactly. Why don't we talk for a minute then about the second time I saw the two of you together, which was the goat uh, or who is Sylvia down at the Blue Barn. So talk to me about that experience. Well, it was funny. Susan had talked to me. We had, we had worked very briefly on a, a scene from Oh Dad, Poor Dad for, for the Great Plains because Arthur Co- it, was when, it was the year when Arthur Copet was the honored playwright. And so we did this 20-minute scene. It was the first time I'd ever worked with her. And, and you know, she was tough. <laughs> but And then, I don't know if that was the same year or a couple of years later or something, she said, I'd really like you to take a look at this or read this. And I said, nah, okay, I don't really know it. But, but I, I, there was other stuff going on. It was kind of a crazy year. I couldn't find a copy of it. So I went down to the public library, Omaha Public Library. And they had it in a, the downtown one, they had it in like some anthology. And I was going to check it out and I thought, I'll just read it here. It's short, you know, it's not that long. <laughs> so I'm in the Omaha Public Library reading The Goat. And I mean, I, I, you know, I was reading it and then I would just like slam the book. I'd be like, oh my God, oh my God. You know, and I'd keep writing. And I said other things that were not, you know, even as, <laughs> as PC as that. I, I, I was just so... I mean, it, this play, you know, and I sat there when it was over and I, and I was like, I, I got, I went downstairs, got in my car and I called her and I said, yeah, I, I want to read for it. So I did, I went and I read for it with Jim McCain. It was just the two of us. And Hugh, Houston was there, but I think he was just watching. I remembered that he was in the room and she just let us go. Like we read almost the entire second act together. We just kept going and going. And, and it was, you know, because it was Jim and we already had a great relationship and it was very powerful. So, again, the whole experience was amazing. So many people saw that and they would say to me, God, you must be just be exhausted. And I never was. I said, I could do it. I could do it again right now because the whole that whole part, everything was released. Sure. And I'm going to interrupt you for one second. Can you give just a brief synopsis in case anybody was living under a rock and, sure. did, well, and didn't I don't think see a lot it? of do, people do know about it. It's, um, it's Edward Albee. And base, the basic premise is um, Stevie, her, Stevie's husband is, whose name I have forgotten. I can't think of his name now. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> is a very well-to-do architect. And in, in, they live in Manhattan, I think. No, I can't remember. But anyway. Not important. And they have been married for a long time. They have a teenage son who is struggling with some, his own sort of sexual identity and going through some stuff. And Stevie's, or, or her, her husband's best friend, Ross, writes a letter to her and tells her that he has confessed to him that he's in love with a goat named Sylvia. So, I mean, is having an affair and is in love. He thinks he's in love with this goat. And so that's sort of what the play is about. And she, Stevie tries to understand, you know, they have, they go knock down, drag out for 45 minutes about, you know, you're insane. And he said, I'm not insane. And this is real to me. It's real. And I wish I could make you understand. I don't love you any less. And I think Albie, there's articles that say Albie just thought that the American theater going public had become unshockable. And he wanted to write a play to see if that was true. And yeah, I mean, it really was, 
people were so vocal during during the performances. People would yell things, yell at him and say, you know, it's just so it, it, it definitely struck a chord with people, I think. So what was that rehearsal process like? It was just it, it was like it a lot. It always is with Susan, where every moment is is a revelation. You know, you think you think you got it. You think you understand and you go into rehearsal and it's like, I know what's going on. And then the process with Susan is and, you know, because you've worked with her, too. She's she's always pushing you to fine tune that connection between you and the other other actors, the other characters. And of course, when you're really focused and you're really in communion, all kinds of things happen that you hadn't thought of when you're sitting alone in your room reading, you know, trying to memorize your lines. So, yeah, there was all kinds of stuff that happened between Jim and I when we got into it that we hadn't, neither of us had planned on. But, and I don't know that Susan had planned on it either, but it happened because of what the environment that she had created. So it was great. It was great. It was hard, you know, but as I said, it was what was wonderful is that I got to scream and break, you know, pottery and yell and throw things and just curse and curse and curse every night. So that, yeah, by the end of the night, I was, I, I was, I wasn't exhausted. I was exhilarated. <laughs> Got rid of all that horrible stuff, you know? <laughs> so. How do you generally approach a character when you, when you sit down, when you are cast in a show and you sit down with the script how do you dissect the character? How do you approach your character? What I do is uh, I am, as most actors are, I am an empath. And when I read the script, particularly if I know uh, the role I'm playing, I don't know. I just see them. I, I, I see them walking through the play. I, I can see the way they look. I can hear the way they say something. And it's not like... I'm in that body already, but I can see in my mind's eye, I see the whole person. So I feel, and that's, it's completely intuitive. I mean, that's totally from my intuition, from my gut, because a lot of times I don't have any, any information about it. Shakespeare's different because I usually have more of a background, but still, and that's what I, that's my lodestar. You know, that's what I cling to is that initial sense of who they are. Do you uh, subscribe to the Stanislavski way? I mean, are you pretty much like bring part of yourself into each character? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there is another way. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I think any any acting technique that anybody's going to learn is part Stanislavski. That's, you know, if you break it down and you dissect it, that's that's the root of it. Because he he found the truth and... And how to get at the truth and how to recreate the truth night after night after night. So I absolutely think that that is what is our job, is to find the truth and to tell the truth the best way we can and tell the story that the playwright wrote the best way that we can. We have to honor the playwright. There's a lot of, especially I think nowadays, there is a lot of the script is just a framework and directors who are auteur directors who think that they can kind of write their own, put their own stuff in there to contemporize it or whatever they want to do. And it's, you know, when I talk to my students about it, I always say, you know, would you go to the Louvre 
and paint a mustache on the Mona Lisa because you think she'd look better. You know, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't deface a work of art because you know it's wrong. But that's what you're doing if you're changing somebody's words the way they wrote it. So, but that's a whole other <laughs> kettle <laughs> of fish. August Osage County. Mm-hmm. How was your experience with that? And I mean, I know it was a great cast. So when I say, how was your experience with that? I guess walk me through the process and Tracy Letts. It's a hard, it's a hard script. Mm. Hard it script. is. It was another one when I read the script the first time before I auditioned for the staged reading. I was like, wow, wow, this, these people are crazy. This guy is like out there, you know, Tracy Letts. I, I just thought I was so in awe of his courage because, you know, you can't read that script and not realize that some of that's definitely autobiographical. Um, and, it, you know, if you research, you, you know that a lot of it is. So to have the courage to put his family up there on the stage like that was like, wow. It's not my family experience. I mean, it couldn't be more different. But but it's, again, it's those words. My God, you get to say those words. And the, the staged reading was really fun when we did the staged reading as part of the alternative programming. And it was the first one. I saw it and I remember I was in that audience that night. I remember everybody was like, oh, the Playhouse has to do it. And everybody that's on that stage has to be in it. I mean, that's how wonderful it was. And you had a lot of the same actors who were in the stage reading that ended up being in the actual fully realized production. Yeah. Not just everyone, a couple. but most of yeah, them. Yeah, most of them were, you know, again, that was great casting. Amy Lane did a great job casting, I think, and finding the right people. And um, it, I don't know. I wish that everybody understood, directors and actors, I think, alike, how important it is to create a community when you're doing a play that actors cannot stand alone. They can't, you have to have that support and that love and that encouragement. It has to be a sense of we are all in this together and we are creating something and it's important. And we're, you know, we have this gift to give, to present to the audience because who knows who might really need this out there tonight. And I think Sometimes we get so focused on on product that we forget that we have to if if you can find that, if you can really create that ensemble in that community, the play lifts off. I don't care what play it is, because you you have a common purpose and you feel we feel empowered and we feel important and we feel, you know, it just opens up that artist in everybody. So I, yeah, I, I'm, when I'm directing, I really try to make that happen. When I'm acting, I really, you know, I feel like my main focus is making sure that I'm really creating those relationships with my fellow actors. Cause it's, I think it's the most important thing. Let's take a moment to talk about how you approach directing. How many plays have you directed? I, because I, I know you, I mean, I know you've directed and, and, but I always know you more as a as an actress. But I know you directed obviously when you were at Iowa Western, but you've obviously directed more than that. And I've probably directed about 30, 35 plays, I guess. When you speak with your students, do you talk I'm sure you do talk about getting a well rounded overall experience in theater so that each facet 
builds upon itself. Like I know that I think having done the acting helped me out as a director. And I think now that I've directed a lot of shows, it helps me when I go back on the acting side or it helps me if I write a play. You were a seasoned actress when you started directing? I wouldn't say seasoned, but I, I mean, I'd had a, I had a probably 10 years under my belt, I suppose, maybe. So how do you approach a script when you direct? And how do you, as a director, make that community with your actors or try to anyway? First of all, I trust them when time allows. And I, I try really to push for time um, before rehearsals start or before anything starts. When, when I'm having production meetings, those production meetings are so important in terms of artists sitting in the room together, sharing that vision and creating that world. And, and for people who may not know a production meeting is when all of the, the creatives get together, not the, not the actors themselves, but the creatives, the scenic designer, the lighting designer, sound, costumes, the director, music director, if it's a musical, those things get together and collaborate. And work together to create this world. Yeah, to create this world that, that the play is going to live in. And it's so important that, I, I, again, I know I've worked with directors who come in and they have their vision and they know exactly what everything is. And what they do is they tell the designers what it's going to be instead of allowing them to contribute and to, to help. Because one person can't do it. You know, I may have an idea as a director of the road that I want to go down. I may have the beginning of a concept, but it doesn't happen until I share it with my other artists, with the other artists. That's when it happens. And it primes me as a director so that when I go into when I go into uh, the first rehearsal, I know what this world is. And I bring in the, the set designer and the costume designer and as many people as I can early on in the process so that they can talk about there so that. Again, we're saying this is so cool and we all get to be a part of this. And we're we're lucky. We're fortunate. We are honored. You, you just have to. It is an honor to 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 be a theater maker. And of course, it's a business. And of course, it's some it's a learning process and all those things. But I think we can't forget that not everybody gets to do this. And and that you and we we're doing it for a purpose. It's not for ourselves. It's for the audience. It's we are uh, ministering. We are healers. And I I guess I think I try to approach that. I also trust my actors. I it doesn't matter what level of experience they have because they're the ones that are going to create the character, and they have experienced everything that that character has experienced at some level. It may not be that they lost their child, but they've probably experienced loss. So I try to make them understand that they have all the tools they need to create the character. They have everything they need. It's already inside them when they start before they even have the first rehearsal. It's just being able to bring it out and that they need each other to make that happen. What was your favorite production that you directed? Whichever one I'm working on. Um. <laughs> That's a fair answer. <laughs> I've had so many, I think. Again, I've been probably creative team wise. When I did Le Liaison Dangerous at Creighton, I got asked to step in at the last minute because Alan was, I can't remember what he was doing. Oh, he was going back to work for Nebraska Shakes. 
And so I got, and I didn't know the play very well. I mean, I had seen the movie, you know, but I had never read the play. So I got the play and I read it like twice and I had like a week or something before the first production meeting. And it's a production meeting with Bill Van Deest and Lindsay Pape, you know, who are some of the greatest scenic and costume artists, you know, anywhere, but certainly in this area. So I was so intimidated. I was so scared. And I remember going into this meeting and saying, well, I feel like, you know, that's this chess match between these people. It's a chess game. And, you know, I'm sure they were like, yeah, duh, you know, duh, um, you know, and, <laughs> and she's always a little bit, ahead, you know, she's always several moves ahead. And, and, and I said, I, I think I remember I said, I think there are chunks of humanity missing from these people. They're not whole people. And Bill Van Deest came to the next production meeting with the most beautiful set model I have ever seen. I mean, it was just breathtaking. And it was it was this chessboard and it looked like this gigantic hand had come down from heaven and just smashed it. So it was all these chunks and pieces. I mean, it was just glorious. So and that's and, and Lindsay's costumes, that was that just set the pace. It was just this beautifully Visually, it was definitely the most beautiful thing I've ever been a part of. But I directed the Laramie Project at Iowa Western and the the impact that it had on those students, this Matthew's story had on those students and the, their sense of, again, being honored to be chosen to tell his story and to put it out into the world and to make people think and um, maybe change some minds that, yeah, it was like, it's amazing. To be a part of that. Can we talk a little bit about your experience when you did Night Mother? Mm-hmm. That is, again, not an, <laughs> not an easy play at all. And it's more than just the fact that it's a two-person play. You're trying to keep somebody alive mm-hmm. and, to, and to, keep it, to keep it interesting. When I was in high school, I did a scene from that for like speech competition. Nowhere close to doing it justice at the time. Yeah. It's That'd a, be something to take another crack at. Yeah, absolutely. Know, at some point. Tell me about that experience. Well, it was done down at Stages of Omaha, mm-hmm. or the, the former Stages of Omaha. It was the final show there. It was so wonderful working with Mary. I didn't know Mary that well. Um, I had worked with her, with her production. I had directed A My Name is Alice with her production company, I guess. Yeah, I think that was it. Which was a real, that was a really fun experience. All women. It's like, there was some great energy in that room. But when I, when I talked about, uh, uh, sorry, about the goat and feeling like, yeah, I could do it again at the end of the night. It was just so, everything was released. It was the opposite. I was completely wiped out at the end, every single night with Night Mother because I lose, you know? And so, it, yeah. And again, you spend the entire, the entire evening and I'm trying to talk my daughter out of killing herself. And failing and failing and failing and failing. So, yeah, Mary sometimes would want to go out and get a beer and, and I'd be like, I, you know. And of course, she plays the daughter and she gets what she wants in the end. <laughs> but, you know, Thelma does not. And so I never, I was like, I can't. I, I mean, I, I, I have nothing left. So that was definitely a different experience for me. But it was great working with Mary. I, I learned a lot. It was a really interesting space that we got to uh, Liz wiser Liz she was Liz Kendall then but she did the set design and the line de- uh, lighting design and maybe sound design I can't even remember but it was it was very interesting to maneuver around that space 
And yeah, being just two people, again, you, you are each other's lifeline and amazing things can happen if you're really connected. So it was fun. Okay. I have to ask about the Harlequin romance books. <laughs> Once upon a time, I did a lot of voiceover work. And so I did, I, I wish I could remember the title because <laughs> it'd be fun to find it again. But it, you know, it was some, I don't know. But I had to do, it was like a British, so I had to do all of these dialects. I mean, I remember. So you were all the characters. I you was just, all the characters. You just read the book. Yeah, just read the book. And there was like Scottish and Standard British and Cockney and American Southern. And I mean, there was like all of these characters and I had to find different voices for all of them and then keep them straight. You know, I had these notes. I'll tell them, oh, that's just Scottish one. That's, you know, so but it, it, was, it was fun. Paid really well. So, so I just, I, so I'm curious, how long did it take you to like, to like do a book? I mean, I mean, so, so you went into a studio mm -hmm. and then you had the script there and then you had to just, so it wasn't like you could just like read all of like character A and then you, no. you had to just, you had to read like the you story. just had yeah. to read the story and then change, you know, dialects on the fly. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you're being recorded. So if I messed sure. up, I could, you oh, could well, stop sure. and go back. But yeah, there was a producer there and it was for West. I think West Hill Marketing, they had all of these. I did a lot of those, a lot was of voiceover it, stuff. Was it done here? Yeah. It, it was, was done here? Yeah, it was in Omaha. And then what did you do for VH1? I did a couple of radio spots for St. Patrick's Day. Again, I think I could do a dialect. So the dialect, actually the Irish dialect is what got me the role with Dino Squad too, because I read for the character of the teacher, Ms. Was it Moynihan? Ms. Moynihan, I think. And I remember reading at the auditions, reading it, and I said, I, I said, the, the producers were there from, they were from L.A. And I said, is she Irish? And they looked at each other and I said, it's just a really Irish surname. So I didn't know if she was Irish. And one of the producers said, I don't know, try it. <laughs> so I did. And they really liked it. And she told me afterwards, that's what got me the, the gig. So. And how many um, episodes of Dino Squad did you do? I don't remember how many episodes, but it was two, two seasons. Oh, two seasons. We were told that, you know, there was going to be like action figures and the whole thing, but didn't happen. Got canceled after two seasons. So now you're teaching at UNO acting two. Mm -hmm. How many students do you have? I have 14. Are they all theater majors? No, a, a little over, maybe about half of them are, but some of them are, they've all had acting one, but they're not all theater majors. Uh, how do you tailor your class? What is your specific curriculum? Well, we are taking the, the Stanislavskian approach. So the textbook is, gosh darn it, what's her name? Now it's gone out of my head. Sonia Moore. There you go. Oh. And it's just a little thin book, but it's actually a really great book for, for beginning acting, for beginning actors, I think. It, it does a good job of delineating the, the basic precepts of, of Stanislavski's method. And then also I came up with my own sort of version of, of Stanislavski called, and I call it ROOTS. And it stands for Relationship, Objective, Obstacle, Tactics, and Stakes. So it sort of breaks it down even more, simplifies it even more. I decided that, so we're talking about realism. Since we're talking about Stanislavski, we're talking about the advent of realism. They only are responsible for doing two scenes throughout the entire semester, which that was like having come from community college, you know, where you have to cram so much into really small classes. And we meet twice a week for almost three hours each day. So it's just this luxury to really be able to dig and get specific. And 
we, I decided for the first set of scenes, we were going to read the same play. So we all read The Crucible and then everybody, they're all, they're doing scenes from The Crucible. And it's been really cool because, you know, they know the whole story and they know all the people and they know the relationships they have with the other people in town. And it's been, it's, it's really cool. I've been having a good time. Are they all doing the same scenes or are they all, do, they're, no, doing they're all different doing different scenes? scenes yeah. So at the end of the semester, you're going to put them together in order, almost like the play? They're actually, they're doing it um, a week from today is their, their final performance for this. And then the second set of scenes, they will be choosing a scene from Chekhov, Shaw, Ibsen, or O'Neill. So the sort of pioneers of realism. They can pick any scene they want, and I will put together scene partners. I just pick them randomly from hats. So they're... You know, whoever I pick there, that's your scene partner. And then they have to find a play and a scene. So very cool. Yeah. Very, very fun. You still have time, though. You still find time for performing Mm -hmm. when you teach and you have something coming up uh, at the Blue Barn. I do. You're going to be working in the Woodsman. Mm -hmm. And you were telling me off air that it is um, it has no dialogue. Very little, I think. Very little. So it's it's movement and it looks like it has uh, up tree. Mm-hmm. Like size puppets. And it's the story of how the tin woodsman in the Wizard of Oz stories lost his heart, basically. So there's the, the Wicked Witch is one of the puppets. The tin woodsman is a puppet. It's all, like I said, it's all movement. There is a lot of uh, original music. So I'll be doing a lot of singing which I'm really excited about because I don't get to, I never get to sing enough. I love singing, but I, I, I really don't, I don't know. I mean, the people that Strangeman Theater Company, who are the people that created this, it's their concept and their idea. They did their version of it, but now this is with local actors. They're coming to direct it, but I assume it's not going to be the same thing that they did for all those years. It'll be whatever we come up with, which is really exciting. So the last thing I want to talk to you about is earning a living as a performer or as a theater creative in a city like Omaha. Right now, Omaha doesn't have a true paying theater. Actors cannot earn a living wage in Omaha. Do you believe that's an attainable goal? I hope so. I really hope so. I think, I think that the community has proven that they're here to stay. You know, they have supported four or five theaters that have been going on for, you know, decades. And I think even when a new one pops up, there is an audience there. So I think, again, it's it's a sea change that has to happen. It has to, we have to have as a community, we have to say, we're not going to work for free. You have to pay something. And if enough people do that, then it will change. But there are so many people that, that it is a hobby. So I don't know. I, you know, I feel like I, don't, I just don't know if, I, like I said, I think there's an audience. I think there's a way for it to happen. The Blue Barn is really trying to make that happen. The Rose pays well. So there is that. And, and, and Nebraska Shakespeare pays well, but it's seasonal. So I think there, I think it's, I think it is attainable and it might just be around the corner. My question is, can a theater pay but not pay a living wage and have that be, I don't want to say good enough, but at least a starting place? 
Yes, absolutely. I, I really do believe that. I feel like the fact that so many theaters for so many years paid nothing. And, you know, I'm just as guilty because I, I did shows for nothing. And I shouldn't have. If I were just starting out, that's a whole different thing. And I'm trying to get experience and, you know, I'm trying to get my name out there or whatever it is. That's a whole different thing. If I'm, you're just out of school. Um, it's okay to do shows, uh, you know, at, at a community theater so that you can meet people and make connections and learn a little bit about your craft. But when you're, you know, when you've been doing it for 15, 20, 25 years, you, you shouldn't have to do it for nothing, for zero. There should be, it should be a priority that, that a producing theater says, I, I don't have much, but I'm going to make it a priority to make sure I pay my actors something just to say, we value you. Your talent is valued. I don't know. Some people say, well, what's the point if it's just a token? But I think a token is important in this case. It's better than saying you're worth nothing. What you do is, is, is not worth compensation. <laughs> so now I'm going to take time for some questions. What profession, other than theater, and we'll include theater education, what profession other than theater would you most like to attempt? I think counseling. Yeah, some kind of, I don't know about a psychiatrist or a psychologist or something, but I like listening to people and I like to help people. What are your bucket list roles? Do you have any? Yeah, I got a, I have a few. Some of them I've already, I've already outaged. I've aged myself out of, but I'd still, I'd really still love to play Gertrude in Hamlet. I've never played Gertrude. I've never played, I think the nurse would be fun. I've never played the nurse in Romeo and Juliet. I'd love to play Eleanor in Lion in Winter. Martha in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Although, honestly, after I played Stevie, it's sort of like, you know, I don't know. Martha seems just longer, but more of the same, really. Although, <laughs> I mean, she's, she's, she's much more damaged, I think. Uh, Masterclass I'd like to do. I don't know. There's, I, I feel like there's, so, there's something to be learned no matter what I'm doing. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'll have any words to speak in The Woodsman. I don't even know what I'll be doing. I may just, but I, it's so, I mean, I know I'm going to learn so much. It's something I've never done before. So the role doesn't, doesn't like those roles don't really matter to me because I know there's something to be gained no matter what the experience is or what the role is or what the play is. Do you have a favorite bucket list show for directing? Yes, I'd love to direct Our Town. I'd love to direct that someday. I'd love to direct the Scottish play. You would be good as a uh, lady Scottish. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm a little old for her now. Yeah. So. But, you know. Who is the person that you most admire? My husband. He's the kindest person I've ever met. Uh, he is always thinking of others before himself. And he moves through the world with just grace. And he's just a happy human. And he makes you happy to be around him. To quote Cher, if you could turn back time, <laughs> who would you like to meet from our distant past? Is there anybody you'd like to go back in time to meet? I would really love to hang out with Judy Garland. Like party with Judy Garland or just? I think talk and yeah, I think sing and play and drink if that's what it, I mean. I just think she'd be, I th she was so funny, so smart and so funny and so passionate about what she did. I just think we'd we'd hit it off what is the word that you like the least 
If there's a word out there that you absolutely despise, what word would that be? I don't know if I can think of a word for it. I think disdain. I just think that's that's sort of looking down on somebody as if they are less than. Because nobody is less than. If you didn't live in Omaha, where would you like to live? Probably somewhere in the Caribbean. Yeah. Have you ever been there? Yeah. I've been on a couple of cruises and we've been to Cozumel and yeah, I love, love the water. I love the weather. What is your dream of happiness? I think to be somewhere on the water, because I am a water baby, with all of the people that I love. My, my siblings and their family and my kids, all my kids, my grandkids, my husband. It'd be really great to have my mom and dad there too. I mean, as long as we're dreaming. Moira, thank you so much for coming on the podcast Thank you, it's been fun I appreciate it Thank you for listening to the Thank You Five podcast with original theme music by Tim Vallier For more information about tonight's guest please visit www.thankyoufivepod.com Be sure to head over to iTunes or Google Play to subscribe, rate, and leave a review And remember that right now, somewhere in the world, a stage manager is saying, five minutes to curtain. Thank you, five. Thank you, five. Thank you, five. Thank you, five. Thank you, five.